بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala and we seek blessings upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam And so, so we're now beginning course 3 inshallah of our exciting journey through Surah Al-Baqarah and here we're looking at causes and manifestations of rejection causes and manifestations of kufr so once again let's go to our trusty whiteboard here i think this whiteboard you know i mean allah forgive me for for the joke is single-handedly getting me through this pandemic okay so uh, uh can you all nod and let me know you can see it you know all right good okay because i'm having problems with one of my computers here Okay, so once again, um, whoops. Super brief overview of Al-Baqarah. All of you are uh, pros on this now in terms of this outlining that, that I do. We have the intro, which is Ayahs 1 through 39. You're all masters of this, mashallah. Then we have the Ummah of Musa. Peace be upon him, which is Ayah's 40 to 123. And then we have the Ummah of Muhammad, peace be upon him, which is you and I. And this is Ayah's 75 to 284. And then we have the conclusion. which is the last two ayats. Okay, so this is, this is the, uh, the structure of, of the surah. And you notice the section on the ummah of Musa, once again, overlaps the section of the ummah of Muhammad, peace be upon him. So if we were to do this from another perspective, <clears throat> so that's the overarching structure of the surah. Another way, and if I'm going too fast, by all means, tell me to, to slow down or to go back a slide. Uh, uh, we could also look at this another way in terms of parts. So part A is still the intro. Part B is the decline of the children of Israel. In fact, just because I tend to be OCD about some of these things, let's put them nice in on. So this is the, the material we just completed. And then we have causes and manifestations of Gufar. So we see that this section C, which is what we're doing right now, is that space of overlap between the Ummah of Musa and the Ummah of Muhammad. Now, what is the overlap? From Ayah 75, as we're going to see, Allah is now speaking to us. In the previous passage, it was Ya Bani Israel. Okay. So he was speaking to them, and it's like we're listening. 
Now, as we're going to see right from IS-75, Alatala is going to start speaking to us about them. And so we're the people who are being addressed. They're being spoken about. <clears throat> and then we'll have, we'll have more passages. The next section is essentially about Sabar. The next section after that is relates to the Ayat of Allah, so forth and so on. And so essentially, uh, from this perspective, um, there is about se- there is about seven parts to the surah. In average length, give or le- give or takes about forty ayat. You know, a little bit. Some are slightly less. Some are much more or less. Some are a little bit more. Okay, but give or take two hundred eighty six ayahs in in forty ayat groups gives us the uh, the entire surah. Okay, so so then looking from there. And I still have to figure out a way how to do like a dual split screen, but um, those will be journeys of another time. So once again, you see our beautiful, lovely Loyola campus, inshallah. And my office is, well, you can't see it. I was using my finger to point. You can't see what I'm pointing to. Okay. So scrolling down all the way, once again, hopefully this will not affect your your brain processing. So, Ayah 75 is the beginning of this section. So do you, well here, covet is an interesting word, like do you like intensely desire that they would believe? So who's you here? You is us. Who's they? They is Bani Israel. And so at the first level, who is you, who is they? This would be the generation of the Sahaba and the Jews of Medina. And then in our era, this would be us and people who would consider themselves to be the children of Israel. It could be the Jews. It could be modern Jews. It could be modern Christians. could be none of the above. could be all the above. could be Zionists. Yeah, absolutely. You know. and, and so one way to think about this is that in the context of the children of Israel, we spoke over and over again that their tragic flaw was, number one, lack of gratitude, and then number two, it was these these corrupt preachers or corrupt uh, influencers, the um, or the ulama, the umara, you know, especially when Musa alayhi salam is away and other people are taking over. And then what we're going to see in this section for the next fifty ayahs are all kinds of manifestations and some causes here. So it's sort of like gratitude is one type of umbrella, but then we're going to see layers of of causes layers of manifestations, and then other consequences of the mixture of, of one and two. Yeah. So this first subsection goes from Ayah 75 to 82. And Ayah 75 to 82 are wrong things people do, or wrong things they've done, wrong things people do regarding Scripture. And so, and apologies, I'm going to be going back and forth a whole lot here. You know, it actually would be easier.
Uh, I don't think we can hear you right now. Okay, um, can you hear me now? Or not or someone? Yes, okay, very good. Okay. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, for for some reason, this computer that I'm looking at uh, has been uh, in terms of uh, what is this uh, in terms of uh, uh, zoom has been crashing all day. <clears throat> Other computer has been fine. But anyway, so so what I was actually saying uh, when when the computer froze is that what what would be easier for me is if you have your own uh, uh, Quran either on your screen or Mus'haf in front of you rather than me going back and forth and showing everything. If you can do that, that would make um, uh, it would make it much easier. And in fact, I'm pulling up my my Quran app, so I also don't have to keep jumping back and forth. So. So, okay, in Aya, so we were saying that in Aya, Aya's 75 through 82 are wrong things, wrongs regarding scripture. And we're going to have five things here. So, so let's look at that. And then depending upon time, we will also go back to this first word that's being used where Aleta is asking us, do you wish, do you desire that they would believe? But first let's just get into the, 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 the material. So uh, looking at IS 75, do you have any hope that they will be true to you when a party of them used to listen to the word of Allah and then changed it after understanding it knowingly? So what is the first thing that's listed in IS-75? Is literally to change the word of Allah knowingly. after having already understood it. And then <clears throat> IS 76, and I think it's IS 76 and, and 77. When they're with those who believe, they say we believe. Okay, when have we heard that earlier in, in the Quran? Think back and you're welcome to look at your notes. It's, it's, it's uh, all the way back in course number one. But when they're with those who believe, they say we believe when they are with each other, they say, are you sharing what Allah has revealed to you so that they can use it against us? Have you no sense? And this is interesting. They're saying to each other, So many times in the Quran, Allah Ta'ala is saying it to non-believers. 
they're singing to each other. Uh, what is uh, what is it that they're doing here that is wrong? Looking at IS seventy six, and then IS seventy says, "Are they not aware that Allah knows what they keep and what they what they what they keep hidden and what they share?" So, what is the crime here? Any thoughts? So here, they're hiding some of the truth. Uh, Dr. Kazi, you raise your hand. Yeah, one is, uh, I think it's hypocrisy in this, uh, the answer to your question. Mm -hmm. And uh, the second is, this ayah is interesting because it's uh, one in the latter part of the ayah, 75, I'm talking about, is Allah SWT is particularizing a group. Yeah. Yet the ayah begins with a generalization. All of them will not believe of you because a group of them have done this. Any thoughts on that? Uh, let's come back to that because that's also related to this whole question of, of you know, will you believe or are you going to hope for this? But we'll come back to that, inshallah. Okay. Uh, Sami, I like your language. They're weaponizing their knowledge of scripture in a way that, that, that is true. But it's sort of uh, like they're defensifying because they don't want it to be used against them. They're not using it so much as weapons against others. In this passage, they're using it as, okay, don't share what's going to be used against us. Okay, then let's look at Ayah 78. Among them are some people who are ummi. They are illiterate, unlettered. Uh, they do not know the kitab. Except for uh, what we would essentially say, uh, wishful thinking or hearsay. And thus they guess. So what is the behavior in Ayah 78? that they are conducting. Can anyone do it all? So, so guesswork, we're gonna, we're basically saying they're assigning their own wishful thinking. To scripture. I'm using the word scripture, we can use kitab. Okay. So, so this would not necessarily, Musab, be misremembering. It could include that, but it's basically like saying, I haven't opened up the book, but here's what it says. And what we're also going to do, once we make this list of five items, we're going to go through and see how would these apply within our own, you know, our own community, our own um you know, uh, our own populations and such. Okay. I have 79. <laughs> so, so, whoa, warning to those who write the scripture with their own hands and then they say this is from Allah so that they may purchase a small gain. Woe to what their hands have written, woe to what they earn. So this one's a little bit easier. What are they doing here? Uh, simpler than manipulation, it's outright fabrication. 
So they're writing something and they're saying this is from Allah. Okay, so straight up lie. And then ayah 81 and 82, but 80, or I'm sorry, 80 and 81, but especially ayah 80. Good. And they say the fire is not going to touch us except for a certain number of days. And then the response to that is given. Okay, did Allah Ta'ala give you a promise? Because he's not going to break his promise. Or are you just saying something without knowledge? So, so what is here? What are they doing in this ayah? baseless theological claims. This was literally one of the claims at the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him, where some of the Jews of Medina were saying, yeah, even if we go to hell, we're only going to go to hell for like three or four days. Good. And so then we have the response to this. And then what do we have in Ayah 81 and 82? Straight warning. Yeah. With sin, including including what you earn from sin, the result is is doom. Versus I eighty two, those who do right. You have the gardens. Okay. So, so these are, this is the first sort of, uh, uh, you could say, uh, uh, chapter within this section of causes and manifestations of rejection. And the first topic is what do people do with the kitab? So if I read this in the inverse, just like with the hypocrites, what do we do? We looked at, okay, here's the behaviors of the hypocrites. They lie. The, they deflect criticism. They, uh, they are arrogant and they devalue the community. They are two-faced. And so then we looked at, okay, what is, what is upright behavior? So instead of speaking lies, speak the truth. Uh, inspect, instead of deflecting criticisms, consider all criticisms seriously, whether or not you accept it. Uh, rather than be arrogant, value the community. And then rather be two-faced, be, be consistent in yourselves. One we're seeing here is that if we go with the argument that this whole section is about causes and manifestations of scripture, the first place that plays out is your relationship with the kitab. Good. Now, in the context of, of our community, the kitab would not necessarily be limited to the Quran. It could potentially include the hadith themselves. But even if we stick with just the Quran, uh, how would... Uh, some of these, if we go through them one by one, how would they manifest in our community in terms of our sources? Changing the word of Allah knowingly. I don't know how possible it is, you know, in terms of the mainstream Muslim community, for someone to claim something of the Quran that is not there. Okay. Or, no, correction, to change the wording of the Quran definitely in Arabic, I think, in our mainstream community. I can't speak to Islam throughout the rest of the world, but I think if we're in Chicago or in a big city, someone comes along and says something's in the Quran, um, I think that'll be objected to right away. What do y'all think? I have a story on this. Oh, go for it. 
But there's, the, and this is a scholar who did this, so this is interesting. Um, maybe Adnan or Dr. Kazi will remember its provenance. But uh, there was someone who, you know, was not giving the rights of uh, his mother. And uh, so he said, you know, to you, to your mother belongs you and everything you have, and you should give her this. He said, where does it say it in the Quran? And so they were giving all these ayat and hadith about, you know, paradise is beneath her feet, etc. So, but it doesn't say I have to give her this. And so he said, um, Okay, please translate that for, for the non-Urdu speakers. Ma'akasab um, means to, to the mother belongs all in Urdu. I mean, it just sounds the same way. And so he accepted it. And so this was one way where he said, this is written in the Quran in order to convey a meaning that he knew was there, but wasn't necessarily in the text in this way. So that, I know that that's not what we're talking about here, but it, there's some, some similarity. And so if you want to comment. Wow. Uh, which one of these five would that apply to? <laughs> Maybe if you have good intentions, it, it, that also counts. And so they say that about hadith as well. That, you know, um, uh, especially the hadith, when even if they're weak, but if they're for fada'il, mm-hmm. they don't come in the ahkam, you can, you know, more, you have more um, laxity in how you can use them and yeah, absolutely. I mean, so so to make the point for everyone else regarding hadith authentication, most of the effort was on hadith that say, do this, don't do this, right? Things we might be held to account for. But if it's hadith Qudsi and it sounds like a good piece of wisdom, then, you know, then let's keep it, you know. Yeah. I'm going to tell that to my folks. They're going to love that joke. Okay. But you're saying it's a real thing. It's not even a joke. Yeah, yeah it's a re- uh, when The way I found it, it's a real story. And you can probably look it up. I'll see if I can find it and I'll let you know if I do. Okay, inshallah. All right, having said that, uh, can you think of otherwise how someone in terms of the Muslim community can accomplish number one? Yeah. Uh, Iqbal, you're speaking? Yeah, I mean, the, the scripture wording, they can't, but the interpretation, they can always change. Mm-hmm. The interpretation uh, definitely uh, can be changed. If we apply this to hadith, then I think um, it's not as hard. You know, uh, especially if uh, uh, you know uh, if uh, I'm trying to think of a real world example. I'll probably have to come back to it. Dr. Ghazi, you raising your hand. Um, Iqbal describes it in uh, the most beautiful couplet: "Khud badalte nahi, badal dete hain Quran." So they don't, they don't change themselves, but they change the Quran. Without, without it have become the haram. I don't think Faqihane uh, Haram would need a translation. Uh, why don't you translate for us anyway? Faqihane Haram, basically the scholars of Haram, you could say, you know, Muslim scholars. Oh, Haram. Okay, I thought you were saying Haram. haram. Okay, okay. Okay, so wait, so give us the, the, the meaning of this couplet. So basically, says that uh, uh, they don't change they, they don't change themselves, but they change the Quran. Look how uh, corrupted have become the 
fuqaha of Haram or the Muslim scholars. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, uh, and I'm sure uh, Adnan or Mahan could give you a better background of uh, that couplet. Mm-hmm. Uh, if Adnan or Mahan want to share. No. <laughs> okay. Uh, what about hiding the truth? So what was the passage again? They're saying to, they're saying we believe, but then when they're in their closed circles, they're saying, why are you sharing with them things that can be used against us? And so what has taken place here, that there's a claim being made, and then Allah Ta'ala is revealing this ayah that you're not sharing the entire truth. Do you not realize Allah Ta'ala is watching everything that you're doing? What would be examples of hiding the truth? Or another example of hiding the truth at the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him, was in a case involving uh, zina. And a person comes with some pages of the Torah and he's pointing, you know, right on the page saying, look, the punishment is only whipping. Good. And, and so then Abdullah uh, bin Salam, who was a rabbi who converted to Islam, says, okay, lift up your finger. And the finger was covering a passage that spoke of rajam, stoning. That, uh, and so what was being pointed out is that, you know, they're hiding part of the, of, the, of the text. That's what's taking place at the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him. So uh, Muslim apologists, when attempting to defend secular concepts, uh, I think this applies in multiple ways, including, uh, Laith, what you're saying here, in the case of Sadia, I think uh, that could apply in a, in a number of places if we are hiding the context, yes. So, for example, if I am claiming Islam is, or the Quran is a book of peace, and I'm pretending that the passages on fighting don't exist, uh, is that what we have here? I mean, it's easy to make that argument if, some, if an Islamophobe is saying that the, Islam, that the Quran is a book of war, but if I'm arguing that Islam and the Quran is a book of peace and I am ignoring the passages on fighting, then uh, I think that's what we have here. Uh, or many, many other passages that are sometimes difficult uh, for us to, to swallow, to discuss, whether we're talking about, you know, uh, whom your right hands possess. I mean, that's over and over again in, in, in the text. You know. Or how we discussed before, the, at least in the literal text, the patriarchal bent and such. I think all those could apply here if we are trying to pretend that those are not there so they don't get used against us. Uh, I do think that there's also a lot, a lot of push to keep the political aspects of the Quran outside of the text. So when we discussed the, the definition of Khalifa, there's the historical definition of Khalifa versus the literal definition versus the modern definition. And the historical definition is, is, a, is, a, uh, is uh, this religious leader of a Muslim polity. If you look at the, the translation uh, uh, by Dr. Mohsen Khan and Taqiyuddin Hilali, uh, the Noble Quran, which is the one that if you go on Hajj, uh, they give you that one if you, if you, have an, if you choose an English translation. Uh, for a Khalifa, uh, that just says, you know, those who come later and later and later, which is linguistically correct. So, so this is easier to explain by looking at what is the right behavior. Right behavior is you embrace the whole text. Uh, 
but there is a difference between uh, embracing the text and embracing the uh, the way people understand certain concepts, which which you know, like the text might point towards them, but they're not necessarily in in the current context. So you might have to redefine those, right? Um, I want to agree, but explain your point further. So, for example, if somebody says that you know, like uh, uh, Islam is a religion of peace, but yet, I mean, he is right from a point that you know, uh, overwhelming ayahs of Quran pointing to. A uh, person being killed as if it's killing the whole humanity, but uh, so it's it's correct from the perspective that when there is a peace, then you know, uh, you know, Islam talks about peace. But yet, when you know, it, it's it's comes to jihad, you know, the the concept of jihad in West is distorted. It's it's uh, more related to uh, people killing each other for no reason. You know, they might relate ISIS to it. So, for that reason. Uh, somebody might say Islam is a religion of peace and, you know, nobody would agree with, you know, whatever people are doing now is a jihad, but so they might just conceal or, or not mention that, uh, that uh, it's, it's, uh, it's not this religion, but yes, it might have concept of jihad, but if they mention that, you know, the, the jihad without having enough time, then people will misunderstand it, I guess. Okay, what if I rephrase what you're saying? Let me know if this is what you're saying. That we embrace the full text, but we argue with integrity that there's different times and situations when different parts will be uh, applied. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, yes. Uh, because, you know, you need to have enough time to explain to a person or, or see, you know, what he is coming up with because you give talks in terms of context so if person is coming you know islam is you know this barbaric religion stuff like that then you have to i guess when you're replying to him you have to respond from from a way that you know you first start with rejection and then you say that you know it has all of these so okay. i guess the context i think there you what you're talking about not is not what is our view on our own text there i think you're talking about how to respond to critics that i think it's a whole separate conversation meaning because a lot of times there's no point in responding to critics sometimes yes you know uh, but i'm talking about our own application in our own approach to to the text itself which includes you know how are people going to react and such so, you know. so Omar, on on this same topic uh where are you going to fit the dawah then? So we embrace the whole text. We accept the whole text. But, you know, when you do the dawah, so where, where is the, how you quantify the dawah activities as well as the hikmah behind not to give the whole, but come to the maturity level? Um, because, you know, in some of those lectures of dawah, even sometimes you give it to them, you says, you know what, not, not to expect, like, the the true moment out of uh, uh, the person who just accepted the Islam, right? So, so we have to have like the gradually become a graduate, right? Into those. Uh, so it's it's not hiding something, but it's like embarrassing, uh, you know, just accepting those and adopting those behaviors and text into your real life. 
Okay, so uh, so uh, to make sure I'm understanding what you're saying is that, all right, if I'm calling people to the dean, uh, I'm not going to give them the whole dean right away. That's what you're saying. And so then we'll give, we'll give people according to what they're ready and capable of handling. Yeah? No, I'm, I'm asking. I'm asking that, you know, what is the decorum of Dava would be? No, I mean, uh, I mean it would be essentially uh, what I just said, that uh, in terms of it's Dawa ila law, right? Dawa ila Islam would not be the same thing. So you're calling people to a law. And then according to both their language, their context, then you'll be addressing further, you know. So an easy way to, to, to understand this is that uh, for, for most people, even in terms of when I do these courses, when we get to the ayahs of Surat al-Hajj, uh, which is around ayah 190, uh, that's one round of them, uh, I usually skip right past them, uh, except for a couple small principles. Because if you're not going on Hajj, those ayahs are completely irrelevant, you know, except for like, you know, the best preparation is taqwa. And so, so the point being that whether we're talking about someone who is brand new to Islam or someone who is a lifer, um, naturally, you're going to talk about what is relevant to their context. You know. uh, but the core is that you're embracing, you're taking the whole of the Quran as truth. You know. I don't know if I've answered your question or not. But uh, yeah, no, I, no, you you answered it. But you know, I, I'm just thinking a little bit uh, differently that you know, uh, because if you see the extremists, they use the their own interpretation of the Quran, and they found they found right, uh, and you know, whatever yeah, I mean, they found in the so, Quran. So the people that we are calling extremists, uh, we would say that yeah, they're they're uh, they're applying certain passages. Um, and then skipping others, that would be the exact same accusation of extremists towards people they would call apologists. Right. And such. Right. So, um, Dr. Ghazi, you had your hand raised a while ago. Dr. Ghazi? She might be caught up in something else. Yes, uh, so yeah. I was going, uh, pointing out to Tobas's uh, original comment. If you Amina Badud wrote this book way back, A Woman in the Quran, yeah. where she had argued that the verses, uh, the ayahs relating to the, the inheritance was, were not uh, universal or eternal, but were, uh, were subject to the context of the society in which they are. So in, a sense, in essence, if... Uh, the son was not doing his job of taking his parents, of taking care of his parents. Then the uh, the uh, the, uh, the distribution of the of the inheritance had to be changed. What do you think about that? Well, the traditional view is that it's immutable, uh, the way it's laid out in the Quran. So, in terms of it being related to here to this section. Um, uh, I think that would be, uh, I think it's harder to argue uh, uh, how it fits into one of these five, unless I'm missing something, um, in the sense that there you're talking about interpretation of the text. No, Meaning, em embracing the text, because if you embrace the text, uh, she's embracing the text. Yeah, this is where it is uh, laid out, but she's also imputing uh, contextualized and uh, or you could say circumscribing the text in, in a certain way. 
Yeah, but I think that's, I mean, whether or not someone agrees or disagrees with her interpretation, I think that's part of how Islamic law works anyway. You know, um, and, and the easy example of that is uh, the Quran categorically says what about punishments for stealing, you know, cut off the hand. I'm guessing nobody in this, in this classroom practices that. You know? And we will at the very least, you know, say, okay, well, it's contextual factors, why you can't do it here and there, you know, X, Y, Z. But everyone will acknowledge that it is in the text, which I think that it sounds uh, exactly like what you're saying that Dr. Wadud says. So, you know, building on that question, obviously we're not gonna do the cutting of the hand in the context in which we are. But then the question arises, should it be the dream, a dream to build a society in which a literal application of that text becomes sensible? Or should we say that, no, 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 that was for a particular context. We believe the text was relevant in that context, but now we are in a different world and we should embrace the world we're in and see what kind of guidance we can get from it in our own context. So maybe, you know, cutting off the hand would be uh, trying to remove the uh, a non-literal interpretation. Yeah, yeah, like a metaphor, like prison. Yeah, a prison taking their ability away to... To steal, etc. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So, your core question is: Should the aspiration be to fulfill the literal commands? Yeah, li yeah, a kind of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, that I don't have an answer to, uh, but I would not say automatically yes or no. You know, so the question then becomes: uh, Do we determine that we're going to be held to account? for for such commands you know by not fulfilling them and it seems as though the a dominant view is no we will not be held to account if we are not in the context and so question number two is that should that does that then mean we have an obligation to try to make the context happen uh, i think if we have the space in in our day our week our time to do that it's something worth considering uh, i think uh with other uh other commands i think that in itself becomes a, a a difficult goal for a whole lot of people and i'm saying this not in an escapist way i'm saying this is someone you know like yourself where you know we're basically dedicating ourselves wholly to this project and so essentially i'm saying i don't have a satisfactory answer to that question yet yeah, because my, my understanding, just going specifically to Doxab, Dr. Isra, was that he said, as long as you're not establishing the hukum of Allah, as you understand it should be applied, you ought to be striving to develop a context within which that can be applied. And mm -hmm. until you do that, you're de facto in a state of sin and your struggle in order to change that state becomes your kafara for that sin. Mm -hmm. And if you're not living that life, you've accepted the rule of something other than God. So I think that reasoning is sound. Uh, what do you think? Uh, do you think at least the reasoning, the logic that he's using is sound? 
Well, so I'm I'm still thinking about this, but I think that you know if you if you believe that uh, you know you don't have to change the context, but to apply the word as reasonably as possible within your context, which some in some cases will mean it's not applied or it's applied in a different way, mm-hmm. or um, then that doesn't necessarily mean that you are in violation. Sure, so, sure. I mean, that's a separate point, but would you regard his reasoning at least that he's using, would you regard that as at least sound reasoning? I'm not saying that's the only reasoning. Yeah, it's consistent. Yeah, I think I think it's at least it's very consistent, you know. I mean, for those to help and make sure everyone understands, the question is, all right, we have eyes in the Quran, and we're agreeing that these are eyes in the Quran. And the default understanding is that to take these, especially in matters of crime and punishment, as literal, uh, is it a sound line of reasoning to say that, okay, uh, if I can't implement them now, I should work to try to develop a, an environment where I can implement them. And because if I'm not, then I'm committing a sin, potentially, by not fulfilling them. That's why I'm trying to set up the environment. But the fact that I'm trying to set up the environment, it will be my kafara. It'll be my, what's the word? What, how do you translate kafara? Like uh, compensation? Expiation. Yeah. Expiation, expiation. My expiation for not fulfilling that. Uh, I do think that's a completely sound line of reasoning. Uh, the, the, the question mark would be, am I in sin by not fulfilling it? Good. You know, and am I in sin by not striving to fulfill it? That I think would be the whole of the argument. That uh, if I am uh, if I am in sin by not fulfilling it, then I'm obliged to try to fulfill it. If I am not, if I may be in sin, then I maybe am obliged to try to fulfill the context. Uh, let's see, we've got a bunch of people who have their hands raised. Uh, let's see, uh, Ahant, you had your hand raised for a while. Yeah. Um, so as we're looking at these ayahs and. What I'm getting from it, you know, at least, is that they're all manifestations of people who can't accept um, the religion fully, right? Wholly on a cohesive uh, level. What is the root cause in terms of diseases of the heart that, you know, like that stops, you know, people from accepting the, the whole truth? I mean, you know, this is a, a, you know, like problem that we may all have, you know. And so I'm, you know, like I'm asking, like, like, what is the, the, the point here that Allah is trying to make? Okay, we're, we're going to do building blocks. So we're going to get into some, some causes probably in about starting in about 14 ayahs. And then we're going to have a number of causes as well as more manifestations. So, so hold on to your question. We'll be building up uh, to that, inshallah. Yeah, I'm, I'm jumping the gun. Sorry. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Uh, let's see who else has their hand raised. Sadia, you have your hand raised. Um, so I was thinking that, um, like most of the, um, you know, things in the religion are based on certain principles. Shouldn't the punishments be also based on the principle and not taken very, very literally, especially when it, we struggle with the context um, like, you know, both you and Dr. Mahan were talking about. And so just like the principle of the, you know, uh, of the punishment for Zina or like cutting the hand, 
what's the principle behind it? Mm-hmm. It's just to, you know, so I was just thinking that would that be wrong to just look at the principle and apply that principle on the current context based on the current context. So the principle doesn't change, but just the, just the manifestation of that principle changes. Mm-hmm. Would that be wrong? So, so essentially what, uh, the difference that, uh, the point that you're making is one is the usul yeah, of the text. What is the text saying? How do we understand what the text is saying? And then second would be the maqasid, which is what are the higher principles? Yeah. And so, so the goal, so Islamic law is these schools of Islamic law are essentially schools trying to come up with consistent answers for all these questions. And they're each schools of interpretation, starting from the bare root, which is, okay, what is grammar here? And how do we understand grammar? So in grammar, you have fa'al amr, which is a command form. Now, what we have to figure out is, okay, when Allah is saying do this, is it a command? Is it a recommendation? Uh, is it a command for all time and place? And so then the schools are going a step further, saying that, all right, acts of worship are pretty much for all time and place. Other, uh, other elements of society, you have to include context. So that's an interpretation where the schools are all agreeing with each other. And then, uh, and so, so crime and punishment becomes its own category. And what seems to be the, the, the consistent case in terms of, of the legal schools is that a precursor to implementing the punishments is the environment. Yeah. Meaning if, if uh, someone's needs are being fulfilled and then they're stealing, that's not the same as someone who's hungry and is stealing. So what is the precedent for this? At the time of, the, of Omar as Khalifa, there's a famine. And, and Omar's system of governance was that everyone gets rations from the government, like a universal basic income. And, and they're in a famine. The government is not giving out the rations because they have nothing. And so people start stealing bread. And, and then Omar announces that, all right, you are not allowed to be stealing. But we, because we're not providing you with these rations, we cannot implement this this. Uh, uh, we cannot implement this this punishment, you know these these uh, these hudud punishments, and so he himself is putting a moratorium on this. And so, relate to your point, we can argue that yeah, there are principles that have to be considered um, um, in the context uh, providing how to figure out what are what is the right context for 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 those commands. And so yeah, we naturally say that all right, you're you're a Muslim in a non-Muslim land. Uh, none of the crime and punishment is going to be fulfilled. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and some people go so far as to say very few of the fard are even obligatory, except for like the acts of worship. That's more of the traditional opinion because we are in Darul Harb. You know, we're, we're literally in, in, in non-Muslim land. Now, if we push back against that, some people say that, all right, if you can work towards establishing justice in your society, you know, if we can celebrate all these people like Malcolm X and Dr. King who are trying to change society, then why wouldn't you try to change it to a Muslim type of polity? That's the pushback that, that, that is, that is given. Right. But so the, so the short answer is, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, that there, there's the text and then there's the principle and the principle might determine that the text is not applicable. 
except for the Ibadi school. The Ibadi school is a literalist school, and so they don't care about context. You know, they're saying, here's what the text says, here's what you do. Yeah. And so, it follows that there's only about a million Ibadis versus a billion and a half Sunnis. Yeah, Dr. Mahan. Yeah, so, you know, there's a question here in the chat. Um, we talk about establishing a society um, where the application of some of these punishments as they were understood before becomes uh, feasible again. So Omar, another Omar al-Khadra, he asks, is that realistic? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I like to go further and ask, is that even desirable? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. do we want a society in which justice for homosexuals means, you know, you have all these punishments for them mm -hmm. that were, you know, um, throw them from a high place, you know, have them fall to death yeah, or where you have people's hands off or lash them. Mm -hmm. You know, is that, is that, do we want that? Mm -hmm. Or can we accept that revelation came at a time when these, these types, that type of justice was not considered out of place mm -hmm. but from our own ethical position. Can we give that some kind of real valence? Mm -hmm. and say that we still, you know, look back to that guidance for us today, but we don't feel that it's, you know, that's how we're supposed to apply it today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, my, my answer still goes back to the same point. Uh, we would have to conclude one way or the other. Uh, am I committing a sin if I'm not fulfilling it or if I'm not striving to fulfill it? Okay. And so if the question is, do we want to go back to, to that scenario? Uh, I think that is completely legitimate as the question to start the investigation. But if that's the question and that's my conclusion, then I don't think it's very legitimate, right? I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about the, 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 the general conversation. And so, so the question being, you know, is my utopian Islamic state, is my utopian Islamic polity, number one, what does it mean manifested? Not at a utopian level where everyone is, you know, hugging each other and loving each other and everything, but in reality, with all the complications of that come with a larger and larger society, uh, can I uh, feasibly accomplish something better than the environment that I'm in? You know, and those are very, very fundamental questions. You know. But I think the starting question is essentially, am I committing a sin or not by not fulfilling this or that passage? Why or why not? Uh, so yeah, so, so, Omar, so the basic point would be, Omar al-Khadr, the basic point would be uh, uh, one of the reasons why most of the movements calling for an Islamic state fail is because they can't get past the most simplistic utopian depiction of their Islamic state, meaning the most simplistic depiction of the Islamic state is a slogan. You know, very, very little. I mean, there's this, there's this event, I think, when was it? Uh, when was the Khilafah conference in 2000? When, so, so Dr. Israr invites leaders to, of all kinds of Muslim groups, and he is giving a, a, a presentation of his vision for what would be an Islamic polity be. And he invites uh, leaders or representatives from all kinds of Khilafah-oriented uh, Muslim groups from throughout the world critique this. And if I remember correctly, not a single person critiqued it. And the entire thing just became like a rah-rah, you know, Islam is the way type thing. Nobody even, I don't even know if anyone actually read his, 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 his thing. 
And that's the, the problem of, the, of much of the Khilafah movement. It's a bunch of ideas. Uh, uh, let's see, Dr. Malahat and then Basit. So the question is that, you know, uh, all of those commands on the text is, yes, we accept that the whole text and the principle, but the authorities who's going to be implementing those is not, not like everybody. So there should be like execution branch for those laws when get developed, when there is a society which is implemented that needs to be established, right? Otherwise, otherwise, you know, it's, it's not obligatory to the common people. Because if, you know, we start cutting hands right now, then we probably end up in jail. So it's not, it's not up to the, a single individual to take the law in their own hands. So I think, I think we just stuck to that one, one uh, you know, cutting hand kind of command. But I think is uh, if you just um, give us some more insight about the branches uh, of describing to the Quran, because the acceptance of the Quran is one, one part, but on the, on the same time, the command should be like, you know, there should be a manual for the leaders and there's a man, manual or the directions to the followers, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that, I mean, that's, so those branches exist in the Quran. So this classification and categorization need to be discussed in institutions, not on individual level and adapt into the modern societies based upon the society, societal need rather than just, just become a debate that this, this is actually is applicable in today's society or not, right? Mm -hmm. so. so, I mean, yeah, I mean, these are not questions for the lay people. That's absolutely correct, right? Uh, uh, you know, for the lay people, the basic focus is fulfill your five daily, your five pillars. Uh, not much more than that. And, and even in terms of the common teaching, uh, the ulama, what were they more often teaching to the lay people? The seerah of the prophet, peace be upon him. Even what we're coming uh, going through here was not usually taught to the lay people, you know, because uh, it can add a whole lot more confusion than than benefit. And and kind of like the complaint you made um, like a couple classes ago about people are getting into super theoretical, complicated questions, um, uh, as opposed to keeping everything uh, simple. And and yeah, I mean, but these are conversations that people do have. And where does much Islamic scholarship place take place in today's world? It'll be basically in matters of finance. That's where the biggest uh, uh, amount of knowledge production seems to be taking place. You know, uh, not very much on crime and punishment, except if you're in a Muslim majority polity, you do have some of that there, but but even there, uh, not so much. Uh, but yeah, this is this is uh, this is not for the, the lay people. Basir. Uh, I was uh, uh, listening to a lecture, and uh, I, I guess it's important for us to also understand uh, the seer of Prophet Sallallahu uh, Alaihi When he was in Makkah, you know, it's a it's a society of kufr. And at that time, the only commands prophets or prophet is getting is uh, that he has to convey the message of Islam. So he's fighting for people to become Muslim. And only when he is forced out and uh, 
uh, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala just makes him natural leader of of Medina. That you know the the verses of uh, how to interact as a family, you know, as a community, they start to reveal. And at that time, you know, the the iman was in, you know, especially for the people who migrated, was you know there was no question that you know they have the best level of iman of of all Muslims. Um, so we tend to forget that uh, th- there is a point of of these uh, punishment, and it comes in certain uh, as in certain um, uh, at certain time of of uh, you know of maturity of a community. And just to say that okay, let's let's in for example, like in Pakistan, a major country, Muslim country. If you start implementing any of these, the problem is that you know the the morals, uh, the you know some of these uh, punishment they rely on the morality of people to bring forth, uh, to or to catch, or to uh, say that somebody has committed a crime. So they will instead you know raise more uh, injustice when people will come come with false uh, with false testimonies. And 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 this along the same line, the 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 uh, the objective of Sharia is to not to uh, not to just uh, uh, to have a, a law and order in this world, but it is rather it's a <clears throat> it's you interacting with uh, Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala and your 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 goal is to you for you to come close as a society to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If that moral is missing from that society, then all the laws, no matter whether it is Islamic laws or the other laws, they're not going to be fulfilled in the spirit that it that is needed in order for them to really uh, to make the society a better society. Uh, and especially, you know, when when society is not ready, and you just impose certain things which they are not used to, and they have doubts over them or fears uh, how it will look like. Especially by those who don't really understand. Uh, okay, Master, I need you. I need you to speed up your your question. <laughs> you're giving us this, this long discourse. Well, I, I was just making comments, so I was, I'm sorry about that. So okay. I'm just saying that uh, the. Uh, that this has you have to keep in uh, in mind that you know you are implying it over people and you have to correct them rather than going for the final stage. Okay, very good. Uh, any other questions? Let me let me go through the the the, the chats. Uh, does that uh, Leith is asking? Does that imply embracing the full range of interpretations? No, not necessarily. At this phase, what we're talking about here is just you're embracing the whole text. Interpretation, we'll get into uh, uh, point number five. Uh, 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 naturally, in terms of interpreting text, you want to look at the full range. But um, here, in terms of right and wrong, you're embracing the whole text as text without hiding anything that can be used against you. Uh, let's see. Ramia misrepresenting context around certain ayat or knowing things, taking, knowing the taking things out of context. I think that you're answering uh, some of my questions. Uh, are there any other questions that um, uh, Musab is this referring to the time when they got captured by the Babylonians? Uh, you have way more knowledge about this than I do, so I do not uh, know the the answer to that question. Uh, I do think. No, don't worry about it, Musab. It's perfectly fine. But um, 
uh, here, uh, I think we are speaking at the very least about the behavior of the people at the time of the prophet, peace be upon him. Not necessarily um, what is taking place, you know, at the time of Moses, as much peace be upon him, as much as what is happening in Medina. Um, any other questions or thoughts? Okay, very good, inshallah. Tomorrow we will continue getting into attributes three, four, and five, and then the, the conclusion of that subsection, and then we'll go to the next uh, subsection, inshallah. So right now we're still doing wrongs that people do regarding scripture. Uh, just so you know, the test for, for the previous course is still forthcoming. I'm still ironing out some of the questions, so that will be showing up sooner rather than later, inshallah. I'm sure that makes all of you so so super thrilled to uh, to even conceive of it. I'm going to set up a new document for for all of these lectures, uh, and most likely the title of the document is going to be Part Three. Uh, but uh, uh, I'll let you know, inshallah. Alrighty. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastafiruka natuwilek. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastafiruka natuwilek. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastafiruka natuwilek. Wa akhirat awana anilhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.